0: This is Ellen Weatherford. I'm here as usual with Just the Zoo of Us. This is your favorite animal review podcast. And this week, we have a special guest. We're talking to a brand new friend. This is Jasmine Graham. Say hi, Jasmine. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk to us. I'm really excited to talk about our animal this week. But first, let's talk a little bit about you. So tell us and our new friends a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are.
1: So... I grew up kind of all over the place from a military family, and so I moved around a lot, but the one consistent thing in my life was going to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where my dad's family is from, and fishing. So everywhere that we lived, my dad loves fishing. So no matter where we lived, we always found a fishing spot. So that was a constant. I was moving all over the United States, uh, but... My dad always found a place to go fishing. So I spent a lot of time with him fishing and spending a lot of time on the water and things like that. And I really just fell in love with it. So I was like, well, I don't know anything about anything because I was a kid, (laughs) but (laughs) I like the ocean. Ocean is cool. And so then later I grew up and I figured out, oh, there are people that study things in the ocean for a career. I was like, whoa, that's wild. I want to do that. (laughs) And so I decided to go to school to study marine biology. I went to the College of Charleston in South Carolina, and it was a really neat experience because I was right on the coast and we had a marine lab um, that was not just a College of Charleston marine lab. It had government organizations there. So NOAA was there. NIST was there. I'm throwing out a bunch of acronyms, sorry. And (laughs) um, South Carolina DNR was there. So it was state and federal agencies as well as the College of Charleston. So I got exposed to a lot of different types of scientific research. And I figured out that it wasn't all Jacques Cousteau running around and so I, I got to do experience a lot of different things, and I got to meet some people that later became my mentors, and that's kind of where I fell in love with sharks. Uh, so I started doing research in uh, my undergrad on the evolution of hammerhead sharks uh, because I thought they were weird-looking. So it was all really fun whenever people asked me, why do you study hammerhead sharks? And I had to come up with a more scientific answer than because they're weird looking and I want to understand why. <laughs>
0: um. <laughs> that is a phenomenal answer, though, for real. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So then I finished that and I decided I still wanted to keep staying in this realm of shark research, but I was doing a lot of lab work and I was really itching to get out on the boat and be fishing again. So I uh, decided to go to graduate school and do a more field ecology type program where you actually go out into the wild and study animals in the wild instead of just, you know, doing DNA and stuff back in the lab. And I've always had a passion for conservation. And so I found out, I think I vaguely knew that sawfish existed, like I had probably seen one in an aquarium at some point, but I didn't know anything really about sawfish. And Um, I was presented with this opportunity to study sawfish, which ticked all of my boxes. I was like, it's a weird-looking animal. I have a thing for weird-looking animals. Cool. Um, It's a critically endangered species, so I'm going to have a big impact on their conservation. Awesome. And I get to spend a lot of time on boats fishing. Perfect. Perfect. So then I started studying sawfish, and I loved it, and I'm hooked, and there's a joke in the sawfish community that once you study sawfish, you are always going to study sawfish. You can, you can't, you just can't walk away from sawfish, you just, you're always going to be there. Um, and so I studied them, and I continue to study them, um, looking at their movement ecology, uh, so we actually put little tracking devices on them. And we try and understand where they're moving, where they're hanging out. So that's been a really cool experience. And I've gotten to see a lot of sawfish. And it's obviously a super rare animal. And so most people go their entire lives without ever seeing one. And I've seen a bunch. So I feel very lucky.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was just about to say that I don't think I've ever seen one. But where in the world would you see them?
1: The easiest place to see them in the U.S. is in South Florida. They used to be found as far north as at least North Carolina, maybe even farther north. And then they were found all the way along the East Coast and the Gulf Coast all the way to Texas. And we actually used to have two species of sawfish in the United States, the large-toothed sawfish and the small-toothed sawfish. Um, And the large-toothed sawfish has gone extinct in the United States. It's still found in other places, but in U.S. waters it is extinct. So the range of the sawfish shrunk dramatically. There was a period of time uh, where you would go fishing and you would catch sawfish all the time. And you've probably been to fishing shack where they have little sawfish rostrum hanging up on the door it was a very common thing to be able to catch them. But unfortunately, a lot of people were catching them for trophies and they got caught in shrimp trawls and all these commercial fisheries. And we were just killing them at a very fast rate. Um, And they are are very slow growing. They take 12 years or more to mature. They have to get to a really big size before they pup. They don't have a lot of pups. They reproduce every other year. So all these factors just basically mean that We were killing them a lot faster than they were able to replenish their population. And unfortunately, now in the United States, it's mostly South Florida that you're going to see them. They also can be found with regularity. The small-tooth sawfish can be found in the Bahamas. But yeah, it used to be Yucatan Peninsula, all in the Gulf. Uh, Not so much anymore, unfortunately. So now it's it's a little harder to find a small-tooth sawfish.
0: Oh, wow, that's sad to hear that they're not more abundant these days. but so are they found like closer to the shore or out farther in like deeper water?
1: They are in um, in close to the shore. So they actually spend a, a lot of time right up near the shoreline. So especially when they're young, when they're young, they are usually in estuaries, in mangrove shorelines. So they actually hide in the roots of mangroves when they're they're young and you know, edible. Um, (laughs) and they hide from predators in there. And then as they get older, they kind of start moving um, into slightly deeper water. But they don't really go super deep. Um, The deepest that we've seen them recorded is about 100 meters. They spend most of their time kind of in bays and things like that. And they are really big as adults, so they get to be 16 feet Um, long and so they are huge (laughs) that's huge (laughs) yeah they are big big fish (laughs) and so it's really interesting that they spend so much time kind of in shallowish water because they're they are so big so it's kind of wild um to see them but they're raised so they're very flat they spend most of their time laying on the bottom and so they just hang out in shallow water just kind of resting on the bottom But people, usually whenever they see them, they're walking along the shoreline, and they see this big figure, and they're like, whoa, it's a sawfish. So, I mean, people catch them as well, but a lot of our reports are actually literally from people just walking down the shore, and they look, and there's just a huge sawfish just like right there, uh, which is pretty wild that something that big just like hangs out right there by the shore. (laughs)
0: <laughs> they're just chilling there. Listen, they want to have a good day at the beach, too. Exactly. <laughs> they're just trying to enjoy the beach. And you said that they're a ray, which is surprising to me, because I didn't know very much about sawfish um, before this conversation. So they don't look like a ray to me, because when I think of a ray, I think of that sort of like diamond shape, or maybe it's like a tilted square sort of <laughs> shape. But they don't look like that, right? They have the big nose in the front. So what, what's all that about?
1: So first of all, rays and sharks are, you know, they're both chondrichthians. They're made up of cartilage. Um, The easiest way for the average person um, to be able to tell easily whether something is a, a ray or a shark that I like to use is to look at their mouth and their gills. So if their mouth is in front of them, shark. If their mouth is underneath them, ray. If their gills are on the side, shark. If their gills are underneath them, ray. Um, so rays have their mouths and their gills on the underside of their body. And they're flat. And so sawfish, if you look at a sawfish, you look at them upside down, they have their mouth and their gills on the bottom. And their body plan is very flat. They do have a long tail, which throws people off. They have a shark-looking tail. Um, and they have, this, of course, this big, huge thing on the front of their face. It's like, what's up with that? Um, so they look weird. I told you, I love weird looking things like they look weird. They are very shark like looking rays. Um, If you look, you can kind of see that diamond.
0: Are you at all familiar with the um, Animal Crossing game?
1: I have heard of it. I've never played it.
0: Okay, so they add different fish for you to catch in the game during each month. And last month, they they called it something different. They called it a saw shark, but it used the same like sprite in game as a shark, which had me thinking that it was a shark, but they're not. So I'm going to have to send them an angry letter about it.
1: (laughs) So there is a type of shark called a saw shark.
0: Oh, okay. This is different then.
1: So a, a saw fish is a ray. Uh A saw shark is a shark, Um, and (laughs) I mean, there's there's some differences between them evolutionarily, but you know, it's hard for people to. I mean, they have very similar names, so it throws people off a lot.
0: So that is not the same animal then. So the sawfish is the ray, the saw shark is the shark. Okay, this is going to stress me out if we go too far into it, but but we'll try try to stay on focus. I'm going to try not to let the ADHD take the reins too much. (laughs) So the kind of the most notable feature of the sawfish is, you know, like you said, that big weird thing on the front of their face. And it's that's definitely where they get the name, right? Like the little saw blade. Is it teeth that's like lining the sides of that thing?
1: So they are quote unquote teeth. We refer to them as teeth because that is easier for people to understand. Um, (laughs) Works for me. (laughs) So they are not actually teeth in the way that we scientifically define teeth. So sawfish actually have teeth like a ray in their mouth. So I don't advise this because... That's unpleasant. But if you were to look inside of a ray's mouth, they have these flat plates um that aren't like teeth, like individual teeth like we have. They're really just plates that like crush crustaceans. So their teeth are designed to just crack shells. Um so it's kind of like a nutcracker. They have a nutcracker in their mouth. Um so those are their teeth. Um sawfish don't eat as many crustaceans as Some other rays. Um, So they typically are just swallowing their prey whole, especially when they get older and they're eating fish. They just swallow it whole Um, because who needs to chew?
0: It's a waste of time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The teeth that are, the quote unquote teeth that are on the rostrum, which is the name of the saw, that long thing on the front of their face, those are actually modified scales. They're really cool because they keep growing. And so they might chip them or whatever, you know, slam them up against something and part of it breaks off. um, And it'll just you grow like kind of like our fingernails do you cut it, it grows, you break it, it grows. Um, So unless you were to like, you know, take the whole thing like from the root out, it's gonna continue growing. So it's not like how we think of sharks teeth where they lose a tooth and a new one grows in like that this is the same modified scale that's growing continuously so they always have the same number of teeth each individual has the same number of teeth um, they don't have the same number of teeth as each other though which is interesting so you might get One individual that has uh, a certain number of teeth, and then another individual that has a different number of teeth. Same species, different number of teeth. They also don't have necessarily the same number of teeth on both sides of their rostrum. Usually they don't, actually. What? Um, (laughs) Why? They might have 23 teeth on one side and 25 teeth on the other. So whenever we catch them, that's one of the things that we do, because it can help us identify them, actually is um, counting the number of teeth they have on each side.
0: Is there any sort of benefit to that? Like, does that affect them in any way for them to have a different number of teeth on either side?
1: Um, not that we know of, uh, but there's a lot of things we don't know about sawfish. But I mean, there's a general range that they all fall into. But as far as we can tell, it's not a sex thing. It's not, we can't, we don't know. It's just kind of, it seems kind of random, like very individual. Some have the same number on each side, and some don't, and some have 23, and some have 22, and some have 25 on one side, and yeah, it's, it's very interesting, but it's, it's kind of like, I don't know, similar to us having birthmarks or something like that. It's just something that they have um, as an individual that kind of sets them apart from other individuals.
0: Wow. Are are they able to, like, recognize each other, like, tell each other apart, I guess, basically, maybe by, like, looking at each other and seeing, like, oh, yeah, that's good old 2325 over there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, so we don't actually know that. Uh, we don't know if they can tell each other apart. I will say from tracking them that, and this could be related to something else, it could have nothing to do with them understanding who each other are. But I have seen individuals travel together um, or follow each other. Uh, So one will show up at a receiver and then within minutes or hours, another one will show up and they'll keep moving like that. So they could just accidentally be just happen to be moving in the same direction or they could be following each other. They could recognize each other um, and be hanging out. (laughs) Um, But that's hard. Obviously, we we don't know. Um, So that's something that We've got to study and try and figure out, can they identify each other? Are they following each other on purpose? Or is this accidental?
0: Oh, that's exciting. I would love to keep an eye on that and see if they're able to unveil that mystery a little bit. That's really cool so now that we kind of have a good idea of what a sawfish is and what we're talking about. (laughs) So this is uh, your first time listening to this show. What we do is we rate animals. We review them and rate them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. And first up is effectiveness. So this is how, what we define as physical adaptations that let an animal do a good job of the things that it's trying to do. So whether it's hunting, hunting, it's evasion, maybe it's perception, or you know, just things that are built into the animal's body that let it do a good job. So, what would you, what kind of score would you give the sawfish for effectiveness?
1: Um, so sawfish are extremely effective. I mean, they have a giant weapon attached to their face, they do. I, I don't know how else, I mean, that's just prime evolution right there. You just evolved a weapon on your face. Um, so they are super effective hunters, not only are they using that saw that rostrum to injure prey, um, and for defense, but it also has some sensory organs along the bottom of it. So they actually are swimming along the bottom, and they can feel movements of fish underneath them so they'll be cruising over the seagrass and you know the fish are like haha i'm hiding in the seagrass you'll never see me but the sawfish can feel them moving even though they can't necessarily see them um and so they their saw is basically a weapon and a fish detector all rolled up into one so um so they can use it for defense um we've seen great big bull sharks with puncture wounds all on the side of them that obviously they got in an altercation with a sawfish. We've had our, we've had sawfish put holes in our boat um, because they got a little upset at us and they decided to take a swing. Their rostrum are extremely powerful. Um, so they can use it for defense. It's kind of a little fish detector. Uh, and then also it, of course, for hunting, You just kind of swim into a school of fish and just thrash around, and you're going to hit somebody, and then you just swim back through, and you just swallow all of the injured fish that are stunned, like, ah, I've been whacked. (laughs) Um, And you just, you don't even have to chase them. You just get in the school of fish and start Shaking your head (laughs) and seeing what you get.
0: (laughs) It's energy efficient.
1: (laughs) Super energy efficient. Yeah. So I definitely would give them... A 10 out of 10. I mean, it's, you can't beat it. You can't.
0: (laughs) And you said that, so they're really, really big, and they don't live in a place where you would expect them to be that big for where they are. Um, Mm -hmm. Does that seem to benefit them in any way that they're like so much bigger than everything else that lives there? Or does it like hurt them in any way that they're more visible? Like, how does that how does like, their particular habitat factor into like how well they do for their size? So,
1: sawfish are so big and inedible as adults that they, like, just lay there. They have no cares in the world. They are not evading predators. They are not concerned. They just lay on the bottom and they just chill out. (laughs) And I have sawfish that will just lay by a receiver and they'll be there for hours, not moving. Just... At, like totally unconcerned about <laughs> anything. I I have a spot, I'm just gonna lay here. And they so they're not worried about anything once they get to that size. When they're when they're little, when they're babies and they can be eaten by things like crocodiles and sharks and stuff like that, then they're a little bit more wary. They're they hide in the prop roots of mangroves, like I mentioned. Um, but they still are very sedimentary. They just get in a spot that they know a shark can't reach them and they just lay there. Um, and then when they're adults, they're like, whatever, I'm an apex predator just because I'm huge and I have a giant saw on my face. So I'm not worried about anything.
0: <laughs> wouldn't you, if, if like, if you had it so incredibly made that you had no worries, like, wouldn't you just chill on the beach all day?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> I could definitely <laughs> relate to them on that. What I'm thinking about is with that big saw coming out of their face i know that with some rays they don't necessarily lay eggs but they have like pups that are born like ready to go but i would mm-hmm. imagine that would be extremely inconvenient for the mother <laughs> if this is the case with the sawfish how are they born <laughs>
1: so yes yeah, so they are viviparous, which is the name of that so they are formed inside the the mother and so they have a little yolk little yolk sac that they get nutrients from inside the mother so you know like mammals we have placental birth so they're formed inside of us but they're actually getting nutrients from the mother um and they're connected to the mother whereas the sawfish they're actually not getting nutrients from the mother they they are like they were in an egg sort of thing. They have a yolk that's attached to them that's like outside of the the mother's system that they are getting nutrients from. And then they're born. Um, So they come out of the mother's cloaca and they actually have, because as you mentioned, that would be unpleasant giving birth to a saw. So they have a little sheath that covers their rostrum when they're born. So they actually have a Jello sheath, kind of like you know you have a knife in your drawer and you stick it in a little thing so you don't stab yourself. They have that, um, and I mean evolution is amazing. Evolution was like, if you're gonna give birth to this crazy thing, we're gonna need to put some something on that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they actually are born with the sheath, the gelatinous sheath over their rostrum, so their teeth aren't actually sticking out. And then the way you can tell. How recently a sawfish was born is by how degraded the the sheath is so it takes uh, just over a week for that sheath to disappear um, and they have that yolk uh, and the yolk will also disappear and then they have a little scar um, so that's how we can tell so if the if the sheath is gone you know they're at least a week and then you can look at how healed their little scars from their yoke to tell how, how long they've been, um, out in the world.
0: How big are they when they're born? So they're
1: little, little things, uh, like 20 centimeters. They are adorable. So (laughs) cute. They are adorable. And they're just so, Small, And it's, it's crazy how they grow to be these huge 16 feet long things. And they start out so little to where you can like hold them in your hands. So in my lab before I got there, unfortunately, they had a, um, a sawfish that they had caught that actually gave birth on the line. Um, and so it started like popping out pups. And so at one point, there was a volunteer that was holding a sawfish pup in one hand, like one in one hand, one in the other hand, he's just like holding it. And think that something goes from like, I can hold it in one hand to 16 feet long is pretty wild.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I we said it's on the line. Do you mean like it's like on a fishing line, like you're reeling it in? Yeah. So is this so, like an emergency eject? where they're
1: Like, all right, yeah. it's it's going down. <laughs> They were working her up and they caught her on her way to go pup. So they go into the mangroves and they pup right there so that the babies can immediately go into the mangroves and hide. So they just, they don't have parental care. They literally just swim in, drop their pups. They're like, I gave birth to you in a very safe location. Now you're on your own. And they swim away. Um, So she was about to go do that. And so they were working her up, taking blood samples and, Measuring her and everything like that. And then they just saw these two rostrum coming out. And so then they decided to, you know, pull them out because they didn't want the babies to get hurt because they're just like halfway in, halfway out. So they pulled them out and then she like bucked at one point and then she just squirt like another one out. And so they ended up being able to take samples and get like a measurement of how big they are immediately when they come out and get pictures of like this is what a sawfish looks like literally the second it comes out of the mom <laughs> <all. laughs>
0: that's so exciting yeah so I, I promise only two more weird questions first of all um you mentioned earlier that they have like a tail that's more like a shark's tail it's like a a vertically aligned tail and, and that is different from what other rays have so like is that because that gives them some sort of advantage over other rays like what, what's going on with their tail
1: so they swim more like a shark so so rays flap majestically um <laughs> and sharks do a little undulation thing with their tail to swim they like swim with their whole body um, their vertebrae actually like makes a little zigzag in order to propel them. So sawfish swim similarly to sharks. So they use that tail to actually move. The rays, they have tails, but they are... Well, for stingrays, it's like defense. For other rays, they're just kind of there hanging out. It, I mean, it has some like steering things, but... Um, They're not actually using it to propel themselves. They're actually using their wings, quote unquote, so to speak, to kind of flap through the water. Um, Sawfish don't really flap. They use their tail and they swim more like a shark. So they have that tail so that they can swim um, because that's the way they swim. And it's um, more shark-like because it evolved to be kind of the same shape and body plan because they were swimming in similar ways. And that's the most effective way to swim like that, is to have a, t- a tail shaped like that.
0: They got the best of both worlds. <laughs> they
1: really did. That's why they're 10 out of 10 for effectiveness.
0: They're so good. <laughs> they're so good. And, and it promises my last weird question about them. Are they smooth and rubbery like stingrays? Or are they bumpy and coarse like sharks?
1: They are smooth. Uh, they are very smooth and they're very soft.
0: They feel mm. very soft. That's not to say go out and pet them.
1: <laughs> they're delightfully soft. Yes, don't pet them. That is illegal. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: all research was conducted of, under very specific permits and guidelines. That is why I was touching them. Um, don't touch a sawfish.
0: <laughs> I don't think you would want to either. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you don't want to be on the business end of that uh, swinging weapon they have on their face.
0: I will appreciate them from a distance. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm thinking of all the little like stingray touch tanks you can go to where you can pet the stingray and how like velvety rubbery they feel. (laughs) Is it like that? Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. (laughs) Amazing. Okay, so our next category that we rate animals on is ingenuity. And for us, this is behavioral adaptations. So these are things that aren't necessarily built in, but things that the animal is doing to maybe give it like a competitive edge or help it figure things out, solving problems, things like that, or maybe like strategies that it uses or any anything that it's doing with its body. So what would you give the sawfish for ingenuity?
1: It's kind of hard to rate that because they're so effective, but I, they don't really need to think outside the box. Um,
0: <laughs> They've got to figure it out.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that I'd probably do a seven. So I say a seven because I think that they have mastered the bare minimum of effort.
0: Fantastic. Um,
1: <laughs> so I feel like that takes some ingenuity. And... So the, as juveniles, as like babies, they actually will swim into water that's a little bit more fresh because they know that a lot of sharks can't follow them in there. Um, and they also move, from, from my studies, I've, I'm seeing evidence that they might be moving uh, with the tides. So whenever all of the stuff is being flushed out of the river, um river mouths they like kind of go there and you know they are like cool all of this stuff that's coming out of the river or going into the river has to swim by me if i sit right here and so they just like cool i'm going to sit right there and then the tide is going to change and everything's going to be moving through this little highway and i just have to scoop things up and i don't really have to hunt So they're ingenious in that way of they're like, what is the bare minimum I can do here?
0: (laughs) This is like peak work smarter, not harder. Exactly.
1: (laughs) But I wouldn't say like, I think there's a lot. uh, There's a lot of animals out there that are have more ingenuity because sawfish have it easy. They're pretty much super predators. And so I don't think they have to do a lot Uh, And what they do do, it's like, yeah, I mean, I could, I am capable, I'm a very fast swimmer if I wanted to be, but do I really want to chase something down? Or would I like them to just swim right past me?
0: It's like if I just, (laughs) if I just chill here for like 10 more minutes, then something's going to basically swim into my open mouth. (laughs) Exactly. I'm so envious of their whole vibe. (laughs) I feel like they just did so well and in letting evolution do all the work for them. That now they're like, all right, we've got it. We got it made now. You just <laughs> got to put all of your points into the right categories. And you're like, now I have a saw on my face. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the last category we talk about for our animals is aesthetics. And this is just how much you like the way they look. Could be beauty, could be cuteness, could be, like you said, you really like animals that look weird, and this is kind of like the height of that. So what would you give them for aesthetics?
1: For aesthetics, I would give them a nine. So they are amazing. Affectionately, the Twitter world calls them danger snoots. Um, (laughs) And they are adorable, but they also could like really mess you up if they wanted to. And they kind of have two sides to this this coin. So I like to explain it as like if you look at a sawfish from the top, and you just see like their eyes and their spiracles, and then this crazy saw you're like, whoa, that thing's really intimidating and scary. But if you flip them over and you look at the bottom of them, their little mouths are so adorable. (laughs) And they just like constantly look like they're doing like a little cheeky smile. Like, me. So anyone listening, I highly recommend that you immediately go Google a sawfish and see what they look like from the top view and from the bottom view, and you will see what I'm talking about. The top view is like all business, the bottom view is like I think I've described it once as like you look at the top, you're like oh man, that thing will mess me up, and then you look at the bottom and it's like oh, I'm sorry, friend, did I startle you? Um, <laughs> they're so so cute. The only reason I dock them a point for aesthetics is because. They have great form and function until humans entered the stage. And then that saw became most thing that led to their downfall um, because people thought that they were so beautiful, these saws, that they would kill the animals to collect the saws to hang up in their house for decorations. It also makes them really easy to get entangled in things, which isn't a problem in the natural world because there's not things to get entangled in. Um, But whenever you add people and nets and fishing gear and all this stuff, now it's a problem. So dogging them one point because their aesthetics is not compatible with humans, which is more the human's fault than them, but I'm going to have to say, oh, you were so well made until people came to existence and I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> Look at you humans, you ruined a perfectly good animal. <laughs> <laughs> I have an image in my head of a like a very small sawfish up against glass, up against maybe like a, in a tank of some sort, and I feel mm-hmm. like it looks like it's doing a little dance. <laughs> Like the the bottom of it just has that, like you said, that cute little smile almost looks like, I don't know, I don't want to say like a puppy dog face, but I almost do want to say a puppy dog face. (laughs) (laughs) But that was a little one. I imagine maybe they get a little bit more uh, serious looking when they're 16 feet long. <laughs> they
1: I, they really don't. Like, you look at them from the top, and they look very all business. Ooh, that's scary. And then you flip them over, and you're just like, oh, look at your little face. <laughs>
0: <laughs> different vibe completely. Well, if they're yeah. hanging out on the bottom, right? Like, unless you're a human that's flipping them over, probably, like, anything else that's not a human, all they're ever going to be seeing is that top part, right? Unless you're underneath them and getting eaten.
1: (laughs) Yeah, whenever you see the cute mouth, you are literally in the process of getting swallowed. So it's maybe not (laughs) that cute.
0: It's it's less endearing when you're the one being munched on. You mentioned that they're, you know, being affected by human activities. So like overfishing and like pollution from nets and things like that. What are some, do you know of any like action items that people can kind of take away? Like if they feel so, uh, now, now we've all fallen in love with sawfish. We're already there. We've all made this emotional connection. So like people that maybe feel like I love this animal. I want to do something to help. Like, what are some action items people can take away?
1: So the big thing that you can do is talk to your legislators. Right now there's, so gill netting is banned in Florida waters. And so that's been really helpful for sawfish. The shrimp fishing and stuff like that in areas where they spend a lot of time, uh, like Everglades National Park and all these protected areas, that's pretty much the reason why they still exist is because we made these protected areas. And so they were like, okay, well, I guess I'll just hang out here where it's safe. (laughs) Um, But so just the importance of making sure that the protected areas stay protected. There is a lot of movement towards trimming down a lot of these protected areas and, um, opening it up to commercial fishing and offshore drilling and all these other things. And those protected areas have huge impacts on endangered species. So just keeping up with what's happening in the government and making sure that you're telling your legislators, like, this, these protected areas are really important to our wildlife. And no, you don't need to build a highway through the Everglades and you don't need to do this. And um, just making sure that you're holding them accountable um, because I think it's really easy whenever the public isn't aware of what these protected areas are doing for them to say, Oh, well, we're just going to, we're just going to take a mile or two off of it. And we're just going to, we're going to shrink it a little bit and no one will notice. You got to notice you got to keep up with this stuff because they start slowly chipping away at those protected areas And then eventually they're gone. And those are the only things keeping endangered species afloat. Um, Other things you can do is if you see someone catch a sawfish or you see it on social media or whatever, making sure that you report to the Florida Wildlife Commission that a sawfish was caught or whatever. If you catch a sawfish call, don't mess with it. You know, If you're fishing, cut the line as close to the hook as possible. Don't try to pull it out of the water. It's dangerous for you and the sawfish. Um, if you're diving and you see one, don't harass it. Admire from afar. Don't swim towards it. If you see a sawfish and it's entangled or it looks like it's distressed in any way, definitely immediately call. Florida Wildlife Commission, uh, because they will come out and they'll try and, and save it. And we're just trying to keep track of where people are seeing them. Sawfish are incredible animals. Having the opportunity to see them is amazing. And it's a once in a lifetime opportunity for a lot of people. And we definitely want you to enjoy that. So take pictures, whatever, but don't harass the animal. (laughs) Don't pull it out of the water. Don't swim towards it. It's not worth it. Just get your picture from a distance, report it to FWC, like, hey, I saw a sawfish, just so we have that data of where sawfish are hanging out and where people are seeing them. Um, And that's really the best thing that you can do is raising awareness and making sure that the legislation is protecting the areas um, that are so important to sawfish survival.
0: Awesome. Uh, What's that saying? Take only pictures, leave only footprints? Yep, exactly. I hope that over time, we're able to turn things around enough that more people will be able to see sawfish. Um, Because like I said, I've never seen one. So I I really hope that I'm able to see one someday, because I would, especially now that I have all of this awesome knowledge that you've given me, now I will be able to like have a much deeper appreciation (laughs) for like how amazing they are when I see one. So um, thank you so much for all of that. And before we get wrapped up, um, I'd like to just kind of give you a couple minutes to talk about what sort of work and what sort of projects that you're working on right now that you want people to know about. I know that, um, you know, I found you through involvement with MISS, M-I-S-S, um, if you wanted to talk about that.
1: Yes. Yeah, so MISS is an organization that myself and three other shark scientists started we're really excited about this. Um, so Miss stands for Minorities in Shark Science. Uh, we are founded by four black women, uh, incredible shark scientists. Um, so myself, Jada Elcock, Carly Jackson, and Amani Weber Schultz. And we really started this uh, because we wanted to encourage women of color to pursue shark science. Uh, shark science is a very white male-dominated Field, particularly when you look at leadership and senior scientists and people holding, you know, positions of power. And so we created this organization um, so that we could create a network of support and provide opportunities to um, students that might not be able to access opportunities because of financial barriers. Um, And so we are holding um, workshops in partnership with the field school. And these workshops will be weekend experiences for students to try their hand at shark research. So you can go aboard a real research vessel, the Garvin, and um, kind of participate and observe shark tagging. Uh, We'll have some professional development workshops. We'll do a snorkeling trip. Um, And then it's, of course, just a way for you to connect with other women of color that are interested in shark science Uh, We have a lot of people that we're we're working with as an an organization to try and integrate some other programming um, into some things that already exist uh, to really make shark science a much more inclusive and accessible field. And we're very excited about it. If you want to find out more about MISS, you can go to misselasmo.org. You can find out all of the information about what we're doing. You can join our mailing list to hear about some of the new programs that we are initiating. And uh, if you feel inclined, you can donate as well on the website.
0: Awesome! That's so exciting, and I'll, I'll be really looking forward to see all the budding shark scientists that come out, like in the future years. Like, see all the new shark scientists that will emerge from the efforts of this program. That that will be really exciting to see. Are you like geared towards like younger, like teen, like the youth group, or or more like young adults, or is there like a cer- certain age in mind?
1: So, really, we we are interested in women of color that are interested in shark science, all walks of life. Uh, the workshops are geared towards 18 and older, and specifically for people that haven't had research or field experiences with sharks, so undergraduate students, recent grads. Looking forward, we're hoping to do some outreach activities with uh, K-12, through Um, to get them engaged at an early age in shark science. Um, And then, of course, people at the professional level, like myself and people in, in graduate school, looking to connect them with people that are further along in their career and not as far so that we all have a mentor, someone to guide us through the next steps of the process so that we really have this strong network of support where you don't feel alone. So that's why we created this uh, organization, because until the four of us found each other, we all felt kind of alone and going to meetings and being in departments and being the only Black woman in shark science um, that's in our immediate surroundings. Um, And so when we found each other, we were like, oh, this is so great. I didn't know how much I needed a buddy. And now I have a buddy. And so we want to give that same feeling to everyone and make sure that everyone feels supported and feels like they're not alone.
0: Oh, that's amazing. I'm so happy that y'all were able to find and put together such an awesome support system. So maybe the next little Jasmine Graham is out there listening and thinking, <laughs> I love Selfish too.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: So that's awesome. Are there any other sort of like anything that you're working on right now? Or like even just if you want people to like hit you up on social media or anything like that?
1: So the only other thing that I'm really working on, uh, which is my, my, day, my day job Um, is MARSI LACE, uh, which stands for the Marine Science Laboratory Alliance Center of Excellence. And that is a project that's geared towards recruiting, supporting, and retaining minority students in marine science. And this is a grant that's funded by the National Science Foundation. We're working really hard um, to understand where the barriers are that are preventing people from feeling like marine science is accessible, how we can mitigate those barriers, what things are supporting people, how can we promote those things and recreate those things in other institutions. Uh, So that's something that we're really working on. And if you are a marine scientist or were a marine scientist at some point and are listening to this podcast and identify as an underrepresented minority, feel free to reach out to me uh, because I am looking for people to talk to um, to do interviews to get a feel for your experiences. So that's my plug on that.
0: <laughs> awesome. And, and where can people find you? Like, do you prefer email? Do you prefer social media? Like, where, how can people get a hold of you?
1: So the easiest thing that you can do is you can email me at Jgram G-R-A-H-A-M, at moat.org. If you prefer Twitter, you could also send me a message on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Elasmo, E-L-A-S-M-O, underscore gal, G-A-L.
0: Amazing. All right, well, I think that's about all I had. Thanks
1: for having me on the show. This was great.
0: Thank you so much. I really appreciate um, just your enlightenment and all of the the love that i feel in my heart towards selfish. now that i told you before we got on this call that i i came in with nothing (laughs) i had i had an awareness of the general shape um and now i've fallen deeply in love so i may i have a new favorite animal this is such a good one so thank you so much for spending this time talking to us and we'll catch you later thanks thanks bye bye